0: Hi, this is Armin Dancer again and I'm back with another episode of our Green Deal podcast with reports and interviews of our radio stations across the Euronet Plus network in the EU. As children, the images we are shown to represent paradise are full of birds, wild animals, butterflies, all of us living in harmony, surrounded by lush vegetation. The reality in much of the world could not be further from this. WWF's biennial Living Planet Report provides a comprehensive review of global trends in biodiversity and the health of the planet. In 2020, it pointed to an average decline of 68% in nearly 20,000 wildlife populations across the world between 1970 and 2016. While the picture was marginally better in Europe at 24%, this figure is hardly a cause for celebration. Piero Genovesi, Head of Wildlife Coordination at ISPRA, the Italian Institute for Environmental Protection and Research, details the causes of this biodiversity loss to Radio 24's Giulia Canizzaro. There are five the main factors that threaten, that threaten biodiversity, biodiversity. And, and this is vale true globally, globally as well as in our country.
1: country. The first is climate change, which affects not only us and our well-being and security, but also many wild populations. Think of mountain environments, where many species accustomed to much cooler climates find themselves having to climb higher and higher, and at some point you get to the mountaintop. Think about our seas where the temperature has risen by more than two degrees and this has radically changed the populations in the Mediterranean. In addition to climate change, there is the destruction of natural habitats, which is the primary cause of biodiversity loss around the world and also in our country. Take agriculture, which, if done in an unsustainable way, has a major impact on nature, on biodiversity. There's also the over-exploitation of resources, as risorse, is the case of fishing that's not properly planned and pollution as well whose effects are very visible today in con terms con of plastics. And Poi then there is the subject that I deal with the most invasive alien, invasive alien species which are the world's number one cause of extinction and are particularly dangerous in some of environments, for example on islands, where most of the extinctions that have occurred in recent centuries are concentrated. And here again we go back to the fragility of freshwater environments, because the introduction, for example, of predatory fish, like the many trout introduced for fishing, has led to the extermination of so many species of native fish that had evolved in our environments plus amphibians and so many other organisms, even invertebrates. So these five factors are the ones ones on which it's essential to act in order to mitigate their effects.
0: Jean-Yves Paquet is Director of Research at Natagora, a Belgian nature, conservation and restoration NGO. Natagora conducts campaigns to identify and preserve birds, butterflies, bees and wider ecosystems. It also contributes to European programme such as Natura 2000 and offers educational walks and activities for children. Paquet explains to our colleagues at RTBF, a Belgian French-speaking media, that biodiversity is essentially a complex chain of interlinked relationships and how its decline can impact on humans. First of all, there's the
1: pollination aspect. Some crops need to be pollinated to produce fruit, for example. But also global ecosystems. A forest, for instance, or all the natural ecosystems around us. They function through a whole series of relationships. Relationships between animals and plants, between animals or between plants. And these relationships are weakened if we reduce either the number of species or the population size of certain species. This makes the forest more fragile. It makes it less, as we say today, resilient. It's less resistant to pressures such as drought, extreme weather conditions or
0: weather conditions that change over time. So can we tempt wildlife back to territories invaded by humans? If we can find a way of strengthening biodiversity, maybe we can regain a sense of Eden on Earth. Nature certainly makes us happy. Indeed, there is no shortage of studies published around the world highlighting its benefits on our physical and mental health. It is said to reduce anxiety, boost attention, increase creativity, promote kindness and foster a sense of well-being. And if nature is good for us, it goes without saying that it is also somewhat prosaically good for the economy. Indeed, so-called ecosystem services Our some 125 trillion dollars, not far off total global GDP. Pollinating animals are responsible for a third of food production. Ruminants maintain our soils, birds, bats, and reptiles repel disease carrying mosquitoes, and plant resources continually offer new avenues of medical treatment. With this in mind, even the most scrupulous financier cannot fail to recognize nature's value. These are all arguments that support the call for we wilding But how far are we really prepared to go to help Mother Nature get back on her feet? Animal rights activist, author and coach Michi Schreiber tells Sina Volgram, a journalist with German Radio RMS, that we need to reconsider the way we live in and with nature instead of simply deploring the losses we have caused when it's too late. In terms of nature and wildlife conservation, the most important thing, in my opinion, is to not only get involved when species are endangered or critically endangered, but to look for holistic approaches for a stable ecosystem, think of wildlife management methods that respect the needs other species have, and also keep an eye on the rights animals should have whether you want to call it rights or not. But instead of acting preventative, we often only act last minute and animals that do not seem to need last minute help are often forgotten. In 2020, the European Union unveiled the biodiversity strategy listing specific commitments and actions to be achieved by 2030 through a number of nature protection projects, including the aforementioned Natura 2000. But it wants to go further. With 81% of Europe's habitats in a sorry state, according to European Commission figures, the Brussels executive has pledged to restore wetlands, rivers, forests, grasslands, marine ecosystems and the species they support. And in June this year, it adopted a draft regulation that aims to do just that. EU countries have been given two years to submit their own national restoration plans to the Commission, showing how they will implement the restoration law and monitor progress. While the steps taken by DU are positive, acknowledges Slovenian scientist Dr. Davarín Tome from the Department of Organisms and Ecosystems research at Slovenia's National Institute for Biology, the scale of the task is alarming. Tome tells our colleague Barut Campus at RTV Slow that Brussels plans may come too late.
1: What we're struggling with is stopping the decline of populations, stopping the reduction of natural areas. Once we reach that goal, and I'm sure we will, we won't even be halfway there. That's when the most difficult work will begin, because the decimated populations and reduced areas will need to be restored or rewilded. In nature, it's significantly more difficult to restore something than to preserve it in the first place.
0: Independent of pressure from Brussels, the biodiversity and rewilding we agenda is on the rise in member states too. In Bulgaria, for instance, where the cause is increasingly uniting entire communities, reports Eleonora Tropankova, our BNR colleague. Nikola Rakhnev is a Bulgarian citizen who likes to get his hands dirty. Back in 2011, Rakhnev set up the Gorota.bg Foundation and began enlisting volunteers to plant trees in Bulgaria. More than 2.5 million trees have been planted since his first new trees took root in 2013. And the initiative is still going strong. At the beginning, I
1: imagined that we'd plant a few thousand trees. Even if you plant a single tree, for the people who'll sit in the shade under it after a while, for the birds that will live in its canopy, for the other animals that will live there and benefit from it. That's all they have, that's their home, and that's very meaningful. We started small, and so far over 200,000 people have participated directly in our initiative. The support we're
0: receiving on social media is really huge. Apart from the clear benefits they offer humans, trees also provide wild animals with a home and a food source, notes the Bulgarian radio station. Last autumn, volunteers from the Gorata.bg Foundation partnered up with a fellow Bulgarian organization called Bear Stories to launch a campaign to protect the country's bears. Lacking food in their natural habitats, these animals are forced to descend on towns and villages, which is a risky business for everyone involved. So the idea was to ensure they had enough to eat in their natural stomping grounds. But if it is possible to mobilize communities and citizens to protect and restore biodiversity on public land, how do we deal with private land? In Portugal, most of the land is privately owned, which really complicates matter, as Pedro Prata, head of the rewilding Portugal Association, tells Radio Renascença Cristina Nascimento. One
1: of the great difficulties relates to our country's property structure. Portugal is almost a unique example within the European context in that most of its land is private. Most of the land in the classified areas is private. There's no publicly owned area dedicated to conservation as there is in most European countries. Therefore, any initiative, any attempt to manage, restore, or preserve a certain area, a habitat, even within a classified area, is complicated by having to deal with the landowner and the objectives or interests of these landowners may not coincide with the objectives of its classification or conservation from the point of view of nature.
0: This is a difficulty almost from the get-go. Recent changes in marine biodiversity off Romania's Black Sea coast make for a gloomy mood in Romania too. The Black Sea is, in fact, one of the seas most affected by humans. Although traditionally not as biodiverse as other saltier seas, the Black Sea forms a complex and unique ecosystem with 168 recorded fish species. But monitoring that takes place at the Romanian port of Constanta on the western coastline shows an annual increase in water temperature of 0.02 degrees Celsius and a decrease in salinity. At the same time, there has been a stark drop and marine biodiversity, but also some surprising sightings of new, often invasive, fish species. Simeon Nikolaev, a scientist and researcher at the Grigore Antipa National Research and Marine Development Institutes, reminds Clara Janchu at Radio Romania that more than 50,000 ships cross this body of water every year and that this has had a direct impact on water temperature and acidity. He also shares his observations about changes in migration patterns. In
1: Romania, there are two migratory species the horse mackerel and the anchovy, which in the spring reproduce in the warm waters of the northeastern Black Sea. The horse mackerel come when the acacia is in bloom. Of course, they reproduce, the shoal grows and then in August and September the adult specimens head to the eastern part of the Black Sea, where the temperature is much higher in the winter. There, it doesn't fall below 6 degrees C. What I noticed is that we saw anchovy and horse mackerel during the winter, in November, which has never happened before. Now, this didn't suddenly happen in one year. There are also mutations in these species' behaviour, and it's clear that they significantly affect biological cycles.
0: But the right species, this makes rewilding more challenging to implement than some EU officials might have imagined. Eva Pudraitė, deputy director of the Green Policy Institute in Vilnius and leader of Lithuania's Green Party, Tells our colleague, Augustia Diaz that she is skeptical about the new nature restoration law's ability to meet the EU's ambitious 2030
1: target.
0: The European Union
1: had already set a goal more than a couple of decades ago. It was set to reduce the rate of biodiversity loss by 2020, but it wasn't achieved. Now even more ambitious goals are being set, although they're focused on other areas. However, who will ensure that they are met? Mm -hmm. This is as yet unclear. What can we do in this context? In my view, a fundamental change will only come about when we understand the impact of our consumption and take more responsibility for that consumption. We currently live as if we had four planet Earths. We take so much of all kinds of resources. Wasting fresh water, wearing out the soil, cutting down forests as if they were rapidly renewable and inexhaustible, but it isn't like that. Until we understand that we have a responsibility towards nature and towards the next generations, that we must preserve these resources, I'm afraid that all political and international obligations will remain a paper exercise.
0: Another key question is how far we are actually prepared to go to fulfil our responsibility to wildlife. Are we ready to accept what this means? To answer this question, let's go to Wallonia in the south of Belgium, where the first wolf for over 100 years was spotted in the 2010s. There are now nine wolves in Wallonia and another wolf pack in Flanders. This natural return has been possible thanks to efforts, both legal and otherwise, to protect the wolf and its habitat, including through programs such as Natura 2000. But in such a densely populated region as Belgium, learning to live in close proximity with wild animals is not easy. As Mathieu Alfort tells French-language media RTBF, Alfort works for Natre Grewal, a service charged by the Walloon government with helping farmers to cope with the re of the wolf. He meets with farmers in the area affected, helps them protect their livestock, reimburses them for any sheep killed, and most importantly, perhaps, tries to calm any tensions. Yes, it's tense. Because, let's not kid ourselves,
1: the predominant feeling is one of concern, fear, discontent, even anger, when there have been attacks. And this is understandable. It's also an opportunity for us to break down prejudices. This is important because the discontent also stems from a number of misconceptions. People think that the wolf was reintroduced by the government, that the authorities are directly responsible for this reintroduction, whereas it was a natural return. It's therefore important to take advantage of these moments to clarify things. We're no longer used to living with this kind of predator and when it comes to protection this poses quite a few technical difficulties. Solutions must be found, but for the farmer this represents either an additional cost or an additional workload. The key to coexistence is having
0: as little impact on finances and workload as possible. In an ideal world we would all be able to focus 100% on restoring our natural world and halting climate change. Of course We do not live in an ideal world and everyone faces competing pressures and priorities. Express Piero Genovese believed, though, that we can find the right balance. I think we need to be more ambitious, but also to
1: involve European citizens in an action program that leads to more responsible behavior, bearing in mind that we must, on the one hand, protect nature while, on the other hand, ensuring the healthy and sustainable development of our communities.
0: As we have seen in this podcast, preserving and restoring nature and our own well-being go hand in hand. So let's not waste any more time and strive to achieve this as soon as possible. That will be the end word for today. Make sure you come back in two weeks' time for another episode of the Green Deal podcast, where we will discuss climate justice. Until then.